there was a particular issue that really stirred in my soul, and it was the topic of racism. This particular general assembly was saturated, saturated with seminars on, on combating racism, being multicultural, and understanding the way forward in our multicultural world. It was for elders, it was pastors, it was for us to act on, to digest, and to really marinate in. What does this mean? See, part of our, part of our now, our story, is that we are part of the Presbyterian Church in America. And part of our history is the Presbyterian Church in America was birthed out of the Deep South. And out of the Deep South comes a lot of stories, dark stories. Civil rights, slavery, 1963, a church was bombed and four little girls were killed. It's not just an act of terrorism, it was a demonic act done by men. And even the Presbyterian Church in America, some of the founding fathers, some who have passed away, most have passed away, were either segregationists or just outright racist. And so Drs. Ligon Duncan and Sean Michael Lucas from uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, they brought what's called a personal resolution to the floor. It's a, something for the body to consider. And it was a personal resolution on civil rights remembrance for the, the whole body to consider, to adopt and receive and to put into action. The resolution was seeking to acknowledge and confess the PCA's sins and failures during the Civil Rights Movement. This personal resolution came to the floor with a unanimous recommendation from the Overture Committee, so getting into how it works, to be referred to the next year's assembly. But in the meantime, we, we spent hours and hours talking, not debating, talking how best to receive this recommendation. And I'll send it out this week, what was, their rec uh, what was this personal resolution for you to read? Because we as a church are going to be discussing it in depth. Of what does it mean for us to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, to reflect the church triumphant in the church that is still here on church or on this earth. I knew going in that our denomination was far from perfect. It was born with a lot of baggage. And with that baggage comes the sin of racism. However, there is a, was a real intentional gospel drive to address the past and the present sins of racism so that our future would be more reflective of Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation <clears throat> chapter 7 and our text that we will address this morning. So I was encouraged and I thought, wow, this is good news. But then Wednesday, Thursday morning came. I woke up and I was going through my regular routine in bed and going through kind of my flipboard of all the news that was going on, and all of a sudden my heart sank when I saw what was going on in Charleston, South Carolina. 
My heart sank. I got a real sick feeling in my stomach. Lord, what is going on? The mass murder of nine individuals attending, of all things, a Bible study. And Mother Emmanuel, African Methodist Episcopal Church, it shook me to the core. And I realized part of what was burning in me was because of my silence. Yes, I, I am not a full-blown racist, but my indifference and my silence, especially from the pulpit, is inexcusable. Part of it came out of fear. Sorry, this thing is bothering me. Part of it came out of fear of not addressing it. And I'm going to be another white pastor who's going to be trying to correct something. And I'm going to say the wrong thing or a really dumb thing. And I'm going to have to uh, spend a lot of time repenting and saying, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. And oh, I missed the whole point of this. A white guy trying to address a race issue. But I can't and we can't be silent anymore. Even last night, we were at Trinity Christian College's uh, kind of an alumni event, and Laura was honored there. And uh, it was there that I saw a number of friends from Roseland Christian Reformed Church. And it was, it was an amazing event. And for those of you who don't know, there for a while, once a year, our church would meet either at Camp Manitoba or uh, in the schools or in Roseland to worship with, worship with a predominantly African-American church. And it was encouraging. And Raphael, uh, Rocky, he was kind of their worship leader. He said, when are we going to do that again? My heart says that we must say something. We must do something. The gospel compels us to not only acknowledge and act on eradicating the sin of racism in our nation and in our world, but also acknowledging and acting on eradicating our own blind spots, our blind spots when it comes to race. Every one of you, myself included, we have blind spots. So this morning, I humbly come to you as your pastor who's full of blind spots. Yet I come to you as a man who is clinging to the mercy of God. So here we go. As secular as the civil rights movement was in the 60s, there was, there was no denying that it had a profound Christian impulse throbbing at its very center, right? Recognizing the image of God in every man, woman, and child throbbing at its very center was a desire to say, I am human. God has created me as a man, as a woman, and I've been created in his image. And in a big part of our civil rights movement was a man, it, we could see it in the life and even the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
We can see, even in Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, life, one moment in 1964, when he was about ready to receive the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo, uh, and uh, he was there with all kinds of other dignitaries and people, and they were about ready to celebrate, when all of a sudden, a man appears, and this man was Martin Luther King Jr.'s father. He stepped in, it was unannounced, unexpected, and he, he stepped in and he said, wait a minute, before you start all your toasts to each other, we better not forget to toast the man who brought us here. And here's a toast to God. And in a quavering voice, he told what his son's prize meant to him. I always wanted to make a contribution, he said. All of you got to, all, and all you got to do, if you want to contribute, you got to ask the Lord and let him know. And the Lord heard me in some special kind of way. I don't even know. He came down through Georgia and he laid his hand on me and my wife and he gave us Martin Luther King. And our prayers were answered. I always wanted to make a contribution to what he said. And I think that's even deep in our desires as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all want to make a contribution. A lasting contribution. Just as Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. said. I desire that for us as a church that that we, against the rising spirit of indifference, the spirit of alienation, the, the spirit of hostility in our land, that we embrace the supremacy, the supremacy of God, the supremacy of God's love to, to take, a new, take new steps both personally, take new steps corporately as a church towards racial reconciliation and to have it actually visibly expressed in our body, in our community, in our church. We are called as a church to be something more than what we are living out here in the southwest suburbs of Chicagoland. We are called to be a visible representation of racial harmony. We are to represent what God has designed for us as a community of faith of many different races and tribes and languages and tongues, skin tones. One of my favorite books as a fifth grade teacher was a, a book called Maniac McGee written by a guy named Jerry Spinelli. It was a, story, it was a great book, isn't it? And there was a point where Maniac McGee was really confused. He was a runaway boy, and uh, a runaway little white boy, and he found himself in, in a community where it was very different. And all of a sudden, it was pointed out to him that those are black kids. And he, he was very confused because as he looked carefully at people, he didn't see black. He didn't see white. But he saw a whole palette of colors. I'm not saying that we, we should be colorblind, because that's ridiculous. 
I look out over this crowd and I see a lot of colors. But we should be desiring to have a whole palette of colors here in our church. God has said something, has something to say about how we do this and about how we live together as a church, both a church local and a church universal, and how we are also to be sent out as ambassadors of the king. So I want us to read Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, sets up 11 through 21. So hear these words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is our focus. Therefore, so because of this, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near, brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who, who were far off and peace to those who were near. And through him, we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then, 
you who are no longer strangers and you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. So I want you to notice, starting in verse 11, since that is the major focus and the major oomph for the morning, I want you to notice how this text begins. In verses 11 and 12, it begins with the description of alienation of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was, a, there was a, a definite separation. It says, therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh were called the uncircumcision. There was something about you that was different and separate, and you were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision, the circumcised, Israel. You are two different groups. Remember that at that time you were separated even from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were different parties, different groups, and there was a division between you. There was no hope for you because you were uncircumcised. You were separate. But then, in verses 19 through 22, the text ends with a description of reconciliation between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are being built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ is even the cornerstone that's holding all these things together. And you're growing up. How are you growing? What are you growing up into? You are growing up to be a temple. Where, where God himself resides in the body of Christ. So here we see that there's a list of changes and, and the way that Paul exalts the change over these relationships. First, in, in verse 19, there are two negatives and then there's two positives. First, the negatives. You are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. But then the positives. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are part of the same household of God. And then in verse 20, he describes the one common foundation of this unity. The foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. And then in verses 21 and 22, he says that this new unity of Jew and Gentile built on Christ's saving work and his apostles' teaching is the single building unit for this unspeakable, unfathomable gift of housing God. It's a gift. Verse 21, the church of reconciled, made right men and women, made right with God, the church composed of Jew and Gentile, is the temple. 
And what is the temple? It is the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. You as an individual, hear this, you are a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. We are a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And that is what God is aiming at in our salvation. A new people that is absolutely free from enmity and hatred and division and so united in the truth and the power of the gospel and peace that God himself is with us. It kind of goes with our Exodus thing, right? Something happened. A sacrifice was made so that God himself is dwelling amongst us. Now God is not just dwelling amongst us. He's dwelling within us. And so he is present. God is present for our joy. And he is present for his glory forever and ever in the church. So that's the aim of reconciliation, a place for God to live among us and to make himself known and to enjoy him forever and ever. God wants us to be the body so that he can be glorified and enjoyed forever and ever. Now keep in mind here that the divide between Jews and Gentiles was not was not small, and it was not simple, and it was not shallow in any way. It was huge, and it was extremely complex. First, it was absolutely a religious divide that was going on. It was a religious divide. The Jews knew the one true God. Christian Jews knew his son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then the divide was was cultural with all sorts of ceremonies and practices like circumcision and dietary regulations and the, the rules of cleanliness and so on and so forth. And these were all designed to set Israel apart from all the nations for a period of redemptive history. I want you to be other. I want you to be set apart so that the nations understand a radical holiness. But then this divide was also racial, wasn't it? This was a bloodline that went all the way back to Jacob, not Esau, and Isaac, not Ishmael, Abraham, and no other father. So the divide here was as big or bigger than any other divide that we face today between black, white, red, yellow, Asian, African American. It was a huge divide. So here's the question. What happened in verses 11 and 12? What what took place here that, that describes the the alienation and the separation between Jews and Gentiles. And and, in verses 19 and 20, that describes this full, beautiful reconciliation unity. What happened between those 
two sections where it says you are separate, different people, and now you are reconciled. One great, big, happy family. What, what happens? One well, verses 13 through 18, I'm going to tell you verses 13 through 18, if, if I could, you could just spend days and weeks in just that as a mini-series. But we're not going to do that this morning. So I'm going to leave some of what's going on in there kind of unanswered. But I want to make one point that I think is the most essential thing. What happened in these, these verses, in between those two verses, the answer is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. And he died by design. Jesus Christ died. And he died by design. It's absolutely true, and we, we can agree with all the, uh, the creeds that it's critical to understand that he rose and he is reigning right now. But the emphasis here falls on the death of Christ. Where do we see that? We, we see it in the word blood in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We see it in the word flesh in verse 14 that he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And we see it in the word cross in verse 16 and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. The rest of the text is Paul's explanation of how the blood of Christ, his death in the flesh on the cross removes this, this enmity, this hatred, this division between God and Jew. God and Gentile, and the Jew and Gentile. And therefore, by implication, between every ethnic group of Christians who are in Christ, who has become our peace, because of that, there is now peace. Because of what Christ has done. And this kind of stuff should be profound, amen kind of stuff. That Christ broke down every barrier so that there may be peace. Through the work of Jesus Christ, through his blood, through his flesh, through the cross, Jesus Christ made a way so that there can be peace. The title of my sermon, The Death of Jesus, The Healing of Racism. It's only through the death of Jesus Christ that there can be healing. There can be healing. And this stuff, guys, this, this demands an occasional amen. amen. Next time, I don't want to ask for it. Thank you. This kind of stuff, you should go, yeah, Jesus Christ's death accomplished something. Amen. Let it be. And that let it be should be a, let it be in me. Let it be here. God, so, so make that possible. I know your blood, one drop of your blood accomplished so terribly much, I can't even begin to fathom it, and I'm here to worship you because you have purchased me with a price, your blood, and that has made me, as a Gentile, at peace with you, and therefore, at peace with you.
So let me take this one, this one point and draw things to a close already and apply it to us as a church. The point is that God, God aims to create one new people in Christ who are reconciled to each other through racial lines and across racial lines and despite racial lines. He has created one new man, the body. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer aliens. There is no longer hatred or animosity or uncomfortableness. We're, we're no longer far off. But we are fellow citizens of one Christian city of God. Fellow citizens. We are one family made up of men and women and children from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. We are comprised of that one temple, one temple for the habitation of God. And he did this at the cost, at the cost of his son's life. He did this. And he created something absolutely beautiful that I don't think that we really get. We love to dwell on our reconciliation with God through the death of Jesus Christ. We have been justified. We have been made right. And it kind of makes it a kind of personal salvation story. It's, oh, man, Jesus, we're really good now. Jesus died for my sins. But do we get what the fruit of the gospel produces? And that's why I go back to what, what, I, what am I supposed to be doing? I, through the proclamation of the word, I should be making sure that there is fruit being formed in the body of Christ. Rich, beautiful, profound fruit. And one of the fruits of the gospel is that he has made us into a beautiful, multi-hued body from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And we should just meditate on the beauty of the cross. Amen there. It is precious absolutely precious and valuable beyond measure that we can have peace with God, yes and amen. But we also have got to dwell on this, that God ordained the death of his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile alien people groups. To each other in one body. This too was the design of the death of Christ. And that is why when we watch news and we see Trayvon Martin, the things going that happened in Boston, what happened in in Charleston, South Carolina, our hearts should be breaking as Christians. We, we should be going, this is not right. This is the body of Christ. This, these people have been 
created in the image of God. And it so is such a break from the unity that Christ died to create. This is not right. Christ died to take enmity and anger and disgust and jealousy and self-pity and fear and envy and hatred and malice and indifference. If you're indifferent, he died for your indifference. And he died to take it away from your heart. To take away from your heart all that stuff towards people who are of a different race, of a different ethnicity, of a different skin tone. But here's the concluding, one concluding implication of this. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, and I hope that we, we can say this too with him, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So is this one of the aims of our church? Never to boast in anything but the cross of Christ? Cross of Christ? Is that one of our aims? <laughs> we boast in the cross of Christ. The blood that was shed that purchased me and my salvation so that I can have free standing before before a holy and an awesome God. I want to boast in that cross. And does that not mean, friends, among other things, that week in and week out, that we want the meaning and the worth and the beauty and the power of the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, the shed blood of Christ, to be seen and to be loved in this place. That is what we should so desire. Do we not want that? Is, is that not why we exist? To, to, express, to, uh, to basically express and, and to spread a passion for the, the beauty of the cross, for the death of of Jesus Christ, and the answer should be a resounding. Amen. And if the design of the death of his son is not only to reconcile us to God, but to reconcile alienated, disconnected ethnic groups to each other in Christ, then will we not display and magnify the cross of Christ better and more, even deeper and sweeter through diversity. When I was at General Assembly, I called you the vanilla village <laughs> with a few specks here and there. We, we live in a culture that is changing, becoming far more diverse. Even our, our communities, our schools, our schools are far more diverse than our church. Think about that. What's wrong? 
Why, why are our schools far more diverse than our church? If Christ died, Marcus died to make the church reconciled, a reconciled body of Jews and Gentiles. Red and yellow, black and white, and every shade of brown there is. Then to glory and magnify in the cross of Christ is to glory in the absolute display of the fruit of the cross. To enjoy diversity. And some of you are going, so what in the world do I do with this? So how do we do this? I'm going to give you six things. And the first one is this. And if we don't start with this, we're going to do it in the wrong order. The first one is ponder the cross. Meditate on the cross. Get fixated on the cross. And then really ponder about what it means. What did it accomplish? Think about the cross. As you stand in, in uh, line to get, get, a, get a sub, as you stand in the grocery line, consider the cross and then consider the people around you. Consider the implications. Of, Jesus Christ died for me and he took away all the barriers. He took all the way the barriers for me to have access to the Father. And he took away the barriers, therefore, for unity. Consider, ponder, meditate on the cross. Two, listen. Listen to people's stories. Really listen. Just because I, I'm not a hate-mongering racist... And even though I, I might have friends from other races, that does not mean I know what it means to be black or Asian or Native American or white. Listen to stories. Don't, don't you know, you got, you got cell phones that do the autocorrect. Turn off your autocorrect for a little bit. To say, ah, oh, that, that's not true. That's not every white person. Shut up. Shut up. Listen to the stories. Their pain is real. The division is real. The race issues are real. It's real. Listen to the stories. Listen. You see why it's important, though, to start by pondering the cross, though? You've got to start there. That's your filter for listening. Three. Welcome newcomers every week. This, this, is God, this, this is just a simple practice. It's, 
it, it's some of the most, uh, I know, um, having visited other churches and gone to other places, uh, and even if it's outside a church and you just go to somebody else's house, even last night I felt that with a crowd of 400 and some people, it, it, you suddenly feel disconnected and scared to death. I understand what it means to visit somewhere new. You yourself feel like you are outside. Make a weekly aim to welcome someone you don't know or you don't know well, who feels disconnected. Some of the, the loneliest places are in a church, sadly. Talk with people you don't know. Next one. This is when it starts to get a little dicey and scary. Invite people of different ethnic backgrounds to lunch or to dinner with you. Double dog dare you. You might not want to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, want to go out to lunch with me? You know, sometimes it takes time and relationship building and say, hey, I'm Paul. I just want to get to know you. I notice that you sit in the same spot here at Starbucks all the time. Just want to say hi. Next time, do a little bit more relational building and say, so, so what's your story? And get to the spot where you say, would you like to go to lunch? I'll buy Subway on me. What are you doing for dinner? I'd love for you to meet my wife and my kids. I'd love for you to meet my husband. You know, you guys, you both love guns, or you both love this, or you both love that. You should meet my husband. Invite people into your home. Break down the walls of a hostility by welcoming people. Next one. This one even gets a little bit more dicey, right? You actually invite people of different ethnic backgrounds to our community of faith. You're building relationships. And we're not doing this because we, man, we got a goal of, man, we want to be 50-50 by 2020, you know. That, that's not our goal. Our, our goal is to look more like uh, Revelation 5, Revelation 7, where every tribe and nation and tongue is standing before the Lord and worshiping Him. We want to reflect that because we understand what the cross of Christ purchased and accomplished and we want it to look more and more and more like that because there's something to be said about this absolute beautiful picture of people worshiping Christ. The most beautiful picture in a gallery is not a white picture or a black picture. It's a picture that has multiple colors, and strokes, and hues. And you go, wow, look at that. Oh, I didn't even see that. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And here's the last thing. It kind of ties it all together. Pray for more patience, for wisdom, and sensitivity. You start with the cross, you walk through some steps, and it's going to get messy, and it's going to get sloppy, and it's going to get scary, and you're going to get, whoo, 
I don't know what to do here. And then also you go, okay, God, I, I just need some wisdom. How do I, how do I communicate? How do I listen better? How do I do this? How do I invite? Should I invite? What do we, how do we do this? How do we incorporate? How do we talk? And how do we let down certain things that we think are really important in our worship and our preaching and our relationship building in our homes and our neighborhoods and all these? How do we let all these things down so that we can change so that we can more reflect the beauty and glorify Christ in, in, in this church, in this body? How do we do that? And we keep praying for, for more wisdom and we pray for, for more patience because it's getting testy and it's getting strange, it's getting awkward. Because they're, they're starting to encroach on what, what used to be my territory, my comfort zone. And now I'm, I'm going to have to change. And I'm going to have to consider what it means to, to bring new family in. And, and Lord, help me to be sensitive in all of this. Not sensitive just to becoming internally aware of what's going on here. Being sensitive to putting others first. So that's it. Friends, Charleston should break our hearts. Every act of injustice against an Asian man or woman or child, every act of injustice for an African-American man, woman, or child, every act of injustice done on a Caucasian, Hispanic, you name it, man, woman, or child, should break our hearts. And it should, there should be almost a holy anger of God, this has got to stop. And the only place where true hope and healing can take place, honestly, lasting, true hope and healing is in the church of Jesus Christ. So get off your butts. Embrace what God has designed through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I pray, I pray that we will bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. We're going to pray. And then we're going to, um, we're going to confess some things together. There, there's going to be some long script up here. And maybe what we should do is kind of like uh, in the Psalms, uh, in long Psalms, uh, there would be this <coughs> phrase kind of along the side. Anybody know what phrase I'm saying? It's just one word, Selah. And basically it was kind of a, they're not exactly sure, but they often thought it was a kind of a pause, a, a break, a, a think about this. And maybe what we should do is after some of these phrases, I'll do one of these for John and just say, Selah, think about what we're confessing. Don't just let it fly off your lips. Think about it. Let's pray. God, this morning, the song that was on my heart came from a hymn this is my Father's world. And Lord, I, I think about the, the phrase, the verse that says, this is my Father's world. Let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, 
God is the ruler yet. God, we look at our world and it is absolutely broken and it seems like it's crumbling and it's becoming more divisive and there's a, but yet there's a, a, a groundswell, a desire to, to see unity and peace and reconciliation. Lord, I pray, I pray that we as the body of Christ, that we may remember that we gather with the great multi ethnic church in heaven and on earth this morning. That we are worshiping Jesus Christ with brothers and sisters in Africa, in Asia, in Thailand, in Russia, in Great Britain, Lord, in, in South America, to the very tip, Argentina, Mexico, Canada, Charleston, South Carolina, God, as we mourn with and we mourn for brothers and sisters in Charleston, God, we are reminded that though the church continues to struggle against the kingdom of darkness, Jesus Christ is still Lord. That Jesus Christ has triumphed over Satan, over sin, and over death, and the darker, Lord, we know the darker the night, the brighter the light. The more beautiful the gospel is in the darkest moments. So God, I pray this morning that the good news as found in Ephesians chapter 2 will be brought to bear on our hearts this morning that we can no longer ignore the implications of the gospel for our personal lives, for our family lives, for our neighborhood. We can no longer ignore the implications of the gospel in our corporate life as a church. So Lord, would you so empower us this morning? Would you teach us and encourage us to ponder the cross? Would you, would you teach us, Lord, how to listen to people's stories? Would you give us hearts that are deeply hospitable because of the gospel? Because you ultimately are the most hospitable. You have welcomed us in. God, would you so empower us and teach us how to invite people into our lives, into our church. And would you so, God, give us the patience, the wisdom, and the sensitivity that we need. But Lord, most of all, I pray for boldness. Would you bring that all to bear on our hearts and our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to confess our sins together.
And you can, uh, even though it says we stand, you can stay seated. So I want you to meditate and marinate on this. We stand before you today, O oh Lord, hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. Our brothers and sisters have died. They gathered and prayed and then were no more. The prayer-soaked walls of the church are splattered with blood. The enemy at the table turned on them in violence while they were turning to you in prayer. We stand with our brothers. We stand with their families. We stand to bear their burden in Jesus' name. We cry out to you, O Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, heads spinning. The violence in our streets has come into your house. The hatred in our cities have crept into your sanctuary. The brokenness in our lives has 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 been has broken into your temple. The dividing wall of hostility has crushed our brothers and sisters. We cry out to you. May your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out for our brothers. We cry out for their families. We cry out for peace in Jesus' name. We pray to you today, O oh Lord, our hearts breaking, our eyes weeping, souls stirring. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We pray to the God of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters in their mourning. We pray that you would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We pray that you would give them the oil of joy instead of mourning. And we pray that you would give them a garment of praise. In the place of a spirit of despair. And we say, Declare together, O Lord, with hearts breaking, eyes weeping, and soul stirring. We will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters. We will continue to make a place of peace for even the enemies at our table. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who have entered them 
We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven. We will continue to love in Jesus' name because you taught us that love conquers all. And this we can say together. We declare our love for you, our sisters. We declare our love for you, our brothers. We declare our love for you, their families. We declare our love as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We declare that you do not agree alone today. And may it be so. Starting today.